I'm joined by Pamela McCall, author of Twas the Night, The Art and History of the Classic Poems. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So this is the 200th anniversary of what is arguably one of the most famous poems, which was published here in Troy. For many, it brings a lot of memories up of childhood. So why don't we go down memory lane a little bit with you and, and find out your first experience, what, what it conjures. I was given a copy of the poem when I was around the age of four. Whenever Christmas comes around, it's always, as you said, a very nostalgic time of the year. And my family, as many other families, gathered to read this poem on Christmas Eve. You know, I think that that's one of the reasons it survived is that it was read by a loved one to a child. And it's this memory of that. And then, of course, during this very magical time of the year. So I think that's really um, the legacy of it. And, you know, it's a tradition that's, you know, that's been carried on for centuries now. <laughs> Do you have a favorite version of the story or um, like a copy with illustrations that you recall from your childhood? Yes, I do. I mean, the one I had when I was four, I still have. It's got a floss cover. It's a, a die cut. It's, you know, my favorite because my father gave it to me. But I also have editions like Darley edition, which is probably my favorite if you want to come at it from an illustration point of view, because Darley, who was the father of American illustration, does this wonderful illustrated edition of the poem in 1862. And he portrays Santa Claus, St. Nick, as an elf character, a very tiny little guy. And I just think because he kept so close to the script, the story, it's hard to choose this one. I mean, if one was to ask what is the quintessential twas, it would probably be a, maybe Darley, maybe Jesse Wilcox Smith. Why don't we talk about the author and who he was and what was his story? Clement Seymour was um, based in Chelsea. Um, he's a very wealthy uh, family, the Moore and the Clark family out of Chelsea. And he went to Columbia University. He also um, wrote the first Hebrew lexicon, first Hebrew dictionary in America. He was a real scholar, very charitable man. He also was a loving father. He had nine children. He was a humble man, somewhat eccentric, but absolutely a loving father. And when he wrote this poem, it was intended for his children. And the fact that it was published in Troy was unbeknownst to him because he hadn't written it to be published. He'd written it for his children. So what inspired your interest in the topic? Yeah, it was just a love, you know, a love of history and art and Christmas and, of course, this poem. And I brought it all together. And somebody said to me, you know, how did you write 264 pages on a poem? Well, I mean, this is the period of Moore's life, which is 1779 to 1863. So we're talking, you know, the American Revolution, the American Civil War, and then, of course, into the 1900s and the 20th century. So, you know, it's um, a pretty big piece of history and it's pretty fascinating. But you also have to reach back to the third century and the Roman Empire and St. Nicholas. Um, to really get the full scope of the story. And then you have to draw all the threads from the Roman Empire through Western culture into America. So it's quite a task to do that and to keep it all coherent. So when Kirkus gave me a review and they commented that it was well organized, that was probably the best compliment I could have got <laughs> at times thinking that I was writing the history of the world. So where did the research take you? Where were the archives that you visited or accessed remotely? 
Yeah, well, the more papers are with Columbia. So I actually went to the archives at Columbia and, and read his diaries and looked through all his mother's letters and did all of that. And that was really interesting. Um, it's very intimate sort of reading somebody's you know diary. And uh, I also um, found the uh, only photograph with more than the Columbia archives, which was really fun to find. And that was a really thrilling day when I opened the file and got to see what he looked like. I, I know there's six portraits of the man, but there's something about a photograph. And uh, that was pretty magical. And I went to um, Cornell and all over the place. But I did a lot of work on the illustrations, too. And so that took me to the William and Mary, um, the Swen Library, took me to Oklahoma, took me to Westchester, took me to all over the place looking up editions because I wanted to see them. And uh, and then, of course, it was just a lot of purchasing because, again, of COVID, I ended up buying a lot of things just so I could see them and a lot of newspapers and magazines and uh, and then coordinating with other people who are interested in this topic. And there's a lot of literary sleuths out there. So. So you yourself are telling a really fascinating story about the poem and how it kind of moves beyond this innocence and um, nostalgic quality. What were some of the stories that you uncovered about how it was used historically? You know, I think one of the really interesting things about this poem is that it was written by a man who was, you know, very religious, very very Christian. And he decided to base it on the story of St. Nicholas, which is the story of Nicholas coming to a family who were in dire straits. The man had two children who were on the brink of being sold into slavery. Nicholas comes and he throws gold to the window and he saves one of them. And then he comes back the next night and the father stays up to see who it is. And he catches him and he says, oh, it's you. And he says, oh, no, I didn't want this is anonymous. I don't want any gratitude. You want it to be of God. It's so similar to this story. And it's about anonymous giving. It's about generosity. It's about recognizing need. It's about love and charity and all these things. The great thing about this poem, and I think why it survived 200 years, is Moore took out the birchen rod. There is no threat of punishment. And it specifically says there's nothing to dread. It's a very Christian concept with the idea of non-judgment. And I think that that is the quality of this poem that is wonderful for children because I think that they must have been very relieved that St. Nick was coming without a stick to swat them on the backside with, right? So I, I mean, I really do. So because the year before there'd been a poem written with a Santa Claus or St. Nicholas coming in a wagon with one reindeer and a bunch of books to give to children, but he brought the birchen rod. So I think that that's the quality of the poem. And I think that's the, I think that's the heart of it, is this generosity and this wonderful character of Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, or St. Nick, or, or an elf, however you want to, to see him. I mean, another thing that's really interesting about this um, is that it wasn't illustrated at the beginning. It was illustrated in 1830 by Myron King, but it was um, presented without illustration. And so you could have an illustrator come to this and interpret it the way they wanted to. And so you can get these great variations on what this Santa Claus looks like. Um, so I think that's really interesting too. And it works without illustration. And the language of the poem that he's an elf, I think is important um, because it does cross into the secular as well. So you can have him, you know, Santa Claus, the elf um, can be, you know, enjoyed by many different cultures. I mean, it's been translated into Yiddish because he's an elf. Um, you know, He's pretty well welcome wherever we go, but uh no, I think that's really, uh, those are the two big things, I think, um, that would say, would, would answer the question of why has this poem survived? Why are we still reading it in the 21st century? Has the poem been used in any way politically or for social causes? 
Yes, it has. It was used during the Civil War. I mean, the Civil War, both sides politicized it. They wrote incredible prefaces. <laughs> you know, like they say, oh, those damn Yankees, they blocked the roads and Santa Claus won't be coming. For, no, the children won't be getting any toys this year, those damn Yankees. And then, of course, on the other side, you know, they've be, they been doing the same thing. And then you have Thomas Nast, of course, coming to it, illustrating Santa Claus in the camps for Harper's, right? There's Santa Claus giving out presents. Well, there's somebody hanging from a noose on a tree close by in the illustration, right? So it was politicized, for sure. I think the Civil War period in my book is probably the most fascinating chapter because it was so interesting what they did with it. So you're here in Troy with your tome. What do you have planned for your visit here? Well, I actually arrived in Troy tomorrow morning. And I'm here for um, a week. I have some big engagements in other locations around. Uh, and then I'm back again. So the really big things going on in Troy would be at the um, Waterford Museum. I'm speaking on the 28th and the 29th at the Green Show with the Hart Cluett. We're having a reception with an art installation that I've been involved with for, with Ed Wheeler from Philadelphia, which I'm actually in a U-Haul right now driving to Troy. So <laughs> I just drove from Philadelphia. Uh, that's happening. And then on the third is the big Troy uh, stroll celebration of Twas. And uh, and then on the tw- the seventh, we're having a Orville Holly award ceremony dinner. And then on December the 2nd, I'm speaking at the Troy Library. And then on December the 23rd, we're all gathered at the library for a community lunch. And we're going to toast the poem on its actual 200th birthday. That's a community event free to the public. And I think that'll be really wonderful. It's a busy time of the year, but I think we'll have people come to that. I hope we do and say happy birthday. And we'll do a Zoom call so people can call in too. On December the 19th, we're holding a party in New York uh, for Clement Moore because I, I nominated him into the New York State Libraries Hall of Fame and they accepted my nomination. And so we put together a party for 300 people at the General Theological Seminary. I mean, there, I've got 100 events in 50 days. You know, I'm really looking forward to being in Troy. I really like, I really like Troy. I've been there five times, I guess. And I really, um, I was at the Hart Cluet last Christmas and I just really enjoy it. It's, it's just a wonderful community. I should also add, I'm speaking at the Emma Willard as well. Well, we're happy to welcome you back. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. This has been Carolyn Tennant reporting for Hudson Mohawk Magazine.